The Doctor Is In is a co-production of Bobby Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. You want the good news, you want the bad news. I don't like either one of those options. Your words are super wise, man. You are a prophet. You deserve a prophet. You do whatever you want. Who am I to tell you what to do? But you're a psychologist. Well, I know less than you do. You're making me a better parent and a better wife, and thank God you're on the radio. What planet are you on? I don't buy any of that stuff. You know, I was looking for a deeper answer. What are you talking about? You make my afternoon really fun. Enjoy ya. You're about the most exciting thing I have right now. <laughs> now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. That sounded uh, ironic, didn't it? You know more than I do. In fact, that's almost always the case. You live with you. You've lived with you, I'd guess, pretty much all your life. And perhaps the person you're having trouble with, you've lived with them for 27 years. So when you ask me something, I may be able to give a thought or two or a piece of direction. But almost always, you know more than I do. Almost always, Even when a client walks into the office, even if I've seen them four times, they still know more than I do. Now, maybe in details, they might not know more than I do regarding a better approach to some of the circumstances. After all, they are paying. You're not. You can just call in. 877-573-7825. equal is the number to call to get on to the program. I'm a psychologist. What type? There's many types industrial, social, educational, counseling. My term officially is clinical. We were the ones back when we started that had the toolbox of assessment devices, whether it was for intellect or development or personality. And we also were to be the researchers. So when I got my degree, it was to wear two hats, one as a clinician and one as a researcher. You could go into a university setting and you, you design studies, which when I was doing an internship, well, it wasn't really an internship. It was a, kind of a, a graduate program. I'll tell you a story about that in a second. Probably one of the worst moments of my graduate assistantship life. I was essentially uh, learning learning the ropes, learning a lot of things about all this. And so as a result, we were supposed to design, help design studies. And I worked as a research assistant to the professors. And um, <clears throat> I'll tell you some of those in a moment. However, I'd like you to get on the program, 877. Yes, I know Caroline's there. Caroline, thank you very much. Most people don't do that, by the way. And thank you for doing that. 877-57-EQUAL is the number. <clears throat> okay. My worst moment as a grad assistant. I was responsible for handing out 
I forget what it was. The, the, the test, yeah. I think the way that worked was I was responsible for handing out the tests. Now, this was a big kind of a theater setting. You remember those? If you went to college, those early classes, 101 classes, 201 classes, they were usually in a big, huge theater setting. Maybe two, three, four hundred kids in there. So I passed out the exam, which was a multiple choice exam. Then I realized I hadn't passed out the answer blank where they filled in and these things were computerized. So what did I do? Well, come on. I trusted all 300 of those college students. And I said, I don't have the answer sheet for you to fill out. Now, keep in mind, they've already gotten the test. I said, please. (laughs) I was, what, 23 years old? Talk about dumb. I said, please. Now, this is before cell phones, so I couldn't even call anybody. There was was no way. There was no, no way to let anybody know I needed that answer sheet. Now, if I were quick enough thinking, I would have looked at someone and said, I need you to go over to Kent Hall, ask for so-and-so, and get the answer sheets from her. I didn't think that. No. I was going to go get the answer sheets. So I said to the students, uh, please just keep your eyes on your own paper, and I'll be back. I ran. Ran across campus. Full blast. Got the answer sheets. I heard... As I was approaching the building, a sort of dull roar. It was as though 300 people were all talking at the same time, which they were. When I walked in from the back of the hall, they didn't see me when I first walked in, I noticed... That's because I'm highly trained in observation skills. I notice these students talking to each other and holding in their hands the exam and pointing to questions and asking about those questions. I knew I blew it. Bad. So I handed out the answer key for them to fill out. I never did find out how well those students did on that exam, but my suspicion is they did very well. Very, very well. Unless they happened to be sitting too close to somebody who never studied, who never did anything about any of it at all. Yep, that was one of my more um, embarrassing moments as a grad assistant. I had others. I definitely had others, but that was one of the better ones. Okay, I'll give you another one. We had this research that we were going to do, and the premise, the hypotheses of the research was that when somebody is significantly overweight... 
they tend to eat on the basis of time cues. In other words, it's noon. It's time for lunch. I'm not hungry, but it's time. It's 5.30. It's time for dinner. I'm really not all that hungry, but it's 5.30. You eat at 5.30. So we designed a study to, to test this. I had to make bunches and bunches and bunches and bunches of sandwiches. And I forget the exact details on how we did this and how we tricked the students into giving us information, not knowing they were giving us the information we were looking for. That's a lot of those studies did. So I had two huge shopping bags of all kinds of sandwiches, all kinds of sandwiches, good sandwiches. I called from from Kent Hall, which is the big one of the big halls at Kent State. And I called and got a hold of my roommates. There's a, there was a, a hall phone or something similar to that. This was back I think before Alexander Graham Bell had actually invented the phone, but it was it was close. And I said, "Gather up the guys. I'm coming." with two huge bags of sandwiches for free. Now, these are 20, 21, 22-year-old guys. They can eat whatever doesn't eat them first. When I walked in, I saw 10, 12, 15 guys in our dorm room. And then I remembered I forgot the sandwiches. Oh, but you might say, well, Dr. Ray, maybe you, you, you left them. You, you left them in the, um, in the place where you were doing the study, right? And you went out and got the bus because we got a bus that ran the campus. N- no, no. The two bags were sitting on each side of me as I sat on the steps outside the building waiting for the bus. I had a bag on my right, a bag on my left. I got up and got on the bus. I don't know who ate those sandwiches as they were sitting there in the steps of Kent Hall. All I know is there were 10 or 12 guys that looked at me. Where's the sandwiches? I didn't get beat up because a couple of them were my friends just wanted to let you know the kind of person you're dealing with when you call me. 877-573-7825. And actually, I got an even better story than that, but I'll save it. Then you'll be convinced you'll never, ever call me again. This is Dr. Ray. The wisdom of Mother Angelica. The devil will always do his best to tempt you into sin until you get to that place where you love sin. That's what he wants. He wants you down there with him. And not because he loves you, he hates you. When you do what the enemy tempts you to do, he does it out of pure hatred. EWTN. Live Truth. Live Catholic. If you're an optimistic Catholic, will you live longer? I'm Chuck Adica, and this is Journey Strong. My wife Susan and I recently lost a dear friend who almost made it to age 99. 
Varied studies suggest that we may have a better chance of living to near 100 if we are both emotionally aware and hold a positive attitude about life. Being optimistic is a Catholic thing, or it should be. We hold views that include man and God prevailing over darkness and evil, and all human life being highly valued and unique all positive. But we need more than worldly optimism. We need true theological hope. The Catechism states, Hope is the theological virtue by which we desire the kingdom of heaven and eternal life as our happiness, placing our trust in Christ's promises and relying not on our own strength, but on the help of the grace of the Holy Spirit. Now that's hope. For more on this, look to the Journey Strong tab at the homepage of AveMariaRadio.net. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. Life humbles you at about 10 after 1 Eastern Time, as I'm on the air, I got a call. It was obviously somebody that uh, didn't know I was on the air. It was my son. He's 26, and he knows I'm on the air. He very much knows I'm on the air. I think he just forgot that I was on the air. So this this shows you. You're just not as important as you think. Caroline. Caroline Caroline or Caroline? I think it looks, the way it's spelled, it's Caroline. Is that right, Caroline? L-Y-N. L-Y-N. Caroline. Caroline. Okay. I'll just yell at Eric. Uh, You were on the phone yesterday, and you were making the observation about your son. If I recall, was, wasn't he a quite a bit older? He wasn't 20. He was 50 or something, wasn't he? Yes, 56. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I, I was going to ask you, how long had he been tampering with drugs, pot, and and then you also found out he got into a little bit of magic mushrooms? I just found out about the mushrooms recently. He has been doing the pot for quite a long time. And, um, um, yes, my, my brother had talked to him and, and he's, he's just giving everyone a bad time. And I think he's unhappy with himself. So he's taking it out on everyone else. And, and he's made a bunch of untrue accusations to me. And my brother got tired of it. My brother is actually dying of cancer right now, and he was giving him a bad time, so he just blocked him from the phone. And um, and now, then after that, um, my son told me that his his uncle had a assault, uh, had sexually abused him when he was a kid, and. I kind of took it as not believing it at first because, you know, I he'd never said anything before and he'd been very close with my my brother, and um, anyway, I 
so then I got to thinking later that I was a single parent and um, I had to work a lot in and um, he was with my mother and my brother. Well, Carolyn, I'm going to I'm going to hurry you along a little bit because I know there's probably a massive amount of history involved here. But right. your son's 56 years old. I got to believe uh-huh. that he's been living poorly ever since he left your house. Is that true? It's it's not. It it hasn't been bad before. I mean, he's he's bought his own home and and um, you know, but he's really gone downhill in the last maybe year. Um, Are you uh, saying that up until this point, that your son was living a responsible life? He was warm toward you. And there were no signs that he was smoking dope or doing anything else that would affect his uh, outlook on life. He was uh, smoking pot. Um, I did. I wasn't aware of how much, and um, but he was. He was good to me. He would come down and surprise me on my birthday, and and just you know he was very good. But did he keep a job? He did until recently. He um, was injured, had a head injury, and um, and since then he has not been quite the same. Um, but until just recently, well, a lot of it would be how serious the head injury was. Mm-hmm. A, a lot of it would be whether it affected his personality. Uh, that he that he might not have the self control. Because of the injury, obviously, I can't know that. I don't know what the doctors said, what they told you, what he told you. Mm-hmm. But you're saying what? I I don't know how to deal with him. Yes, I. You know, he kept telling me I was afraid of him. He he. On Thanksgiving, he got mad. We were just having a conversation about me trying to buy a home, and and he he just got. It just started screaming at me, and for two miles he screamed at me. I finally got out of the car at a stop sign. I just got out of the car and got on the bus. And um, anyway, um, then he went home in a couple of days, um, but he didn't speak to me after that. And and then he kept texting. Okay, me. I'm I'm telling you, my dear, I got I have other calls, and I know we're yeah. getting into a lot of details. I can't do therapy. Um, so, do you have any relationship with him now, or has he cut you off? He's cut me off now. Okay. I was afraid to talk to him, so I didn't until recently. I've tried to call him. And he he won't respond. He won't call, yeah. Okay. So at this point, the answer, although certainly not a good one, is seems like it's the only one. you got to leave him alone. Mm-hmm. He's telling you. Now, keep in mind, we don't know why this is. You, you know, yeah. you can't smoke marijuana for 30 or 40 years and not have it affect you. I mean, the research is pretty clear on that. It does a lot of things to you. So we don't know how much his personality's changed. I guess what I'm telling you, Carolyn, Mm -hmm. I don't know what you personally could have done to make him so angry at you. Maybe you did nothing. It could be just simply that he has deteriorated for lots of reasons. And right now he's written you off. It sounds like he's written his uncle off. Sounds like he's written everybody off. Um, so at this point you're, you're in a position and I hope you don't do this because I, Mm -hmm. 
I know you're tempted to to blame yourself that somehow you didn't raise him right, that somehow you got stuck with being a single mom, somehow you chose a bad dad, whatever it is you're blaming yourself for. It, it's time to really let that go. Mm-hmm. If he's 56, I got to assume you're at least in your 70s. Yeah. So mm-hmm. are you are you going to at this point in your life live with no peace because this 56-year-old man is for whatever the reason becoming extremely difficult? We don't know. You don't know. But mm-hmm. you're you're in a position to say I've I've got to let him let him make the decision. I can't. I can't stop mm-hmm. him. That's mm-hmm. the hardest part for people, Carolyn. It really yeah, is yeah. to look at someone else and say, "I can't do anything about the way they are acting." There's something yeah. inside us that says, "No, no, 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 no! I haven't tried everything. No, no! I've got to reach them. I've, I've got to make it work." No, not all. I'm a shrink. I'm a shrink. I know this more than anybody. If somebody doesn't want help, if somebody doesn't want to talk to you, you let them go. Yeah. You, you pray well, for them and that's it. To, I'm, I'm telling you what, honey, I got, I got to let you go. I got to let you go because I got, I I got some folks. Can I ask you one more thing? Okay. He, he bought this house that the man had committed suicide in. And I'm fearful that there's something in there that's, you know, being a bad um, you know, spirit or something that might be harmful to him. And if you're fearful, what can you do about it? Well, I don't know. Should I, should I, um, one of those exorcists? Oh, like he's going to allow you to do that? Yeah. If you, if you want to really make him mad, tell him I'm going to have an exorcist come over and bless your house. Uh, when you have, if you have some contact with him again, you can ask him, does it bother you at all that that house has that history? If he says, yes, it does, then you can say, well, would you like me to have a priest come over and bless the house? You can do that. That's what I would do. But please, you you can't be thinking, oh, no, because somebody did that in that house, therefore, automatically, there's a bad spirit. You can't know that, and probably not. Mm-hmm. All right, my dear. Thank you for the call. Thank you so much. Melissa. Melissa from Texas. How are you? Hey, Melissa. Hi, Dr. Ray. Hi. Thank you for the call. Um, I'm gonna try, yeah, thank you for taking my call. I'm going to try to get through this without crying. Um, I actually met you last year, almost a year ago at the... Catholic Women's Conference in St. Angela. I was in the booth next door to you. <laughs> I know. Hey, Melissa, no offense, but some of my money was missing, and I couldn't figure out who had access, because I remember I went to the bathroom, and I said, Melissa, could you keep an eye on my booth? And I came back, and there was like six bucks left. I can't can't prove it. I went I'm, to confession for it. So. Okay. Yeah, it wasn't much. I don't sell many books anyway. It was probably 12 bucks. Probably a venial <laughs> sin. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> so why would you, why would you cry? Reason. Obviously, this is somebody close to you. Yeah, my husband passed away in March, and um, it was unexpected. And um, that week, that Tuesday, he had told me, we, we go to confession pretty frequently, like every three weeks or so. 
And that Tuesday, he told me that he wanted to go to confession on Saturday. So, okay, fine, no big deal. But he passed away on Wednesday, the next day, and so he, he didn't make it to confession. And I'm worried that he died with, with, like, he was not in this state of grace. I don't know what he needed to go to confession for. Um, but I, I worry a lot about that. And then my second question is, um, people talk about when their loved ones pass, they talk about feeling their presence. And I really don't feel his presence. And okay. that worries me. You, well. you, you stay right there. Those are two pretty profound questions. I think what I'm going to say, hopefully, will bring you a little peace on that. It won't be my opinion, but I think it'll be a, a reflection of what the church views it as. Don't go away. Living the Beatitudes with Father Bjorn. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Mother Angelica said that the essence of evangelization is to tell everyone that Jesus loves you. Matt Frad says that it is one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. Are we so full of the things of the world that we can't hear or receive the gifts that God is giving to us? In Isaiah, we hear, The Lord delights in you. I've called you by name. You are mine. You are precious in my eyes, and I love you. Well, we often don't want to hear that, and in the Gospel of Matthew, it hits us over the head even more that we're invited to be part of the kingdom of God. Jesus is king, and he's come to establish his kingdom. The Beatitudes are the eight roads to God. They lead us with his gifts of the Holy Spirit to become the new person in Christ who will find happiness and bring that happiness to others. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For more about the Beatitudes, visit EWTNRC.com. When we refer to our Father who art in heaven, are we talking to a God who is far removed from us? On the contrary, says the Catholic Catechism, we are talking to a Father who is close to humble and contrite hearts. We assert that God is in the hearts of the just as he is in his holy temple. He is in heaven, his dwelling place. The Father's house is our homeland. Sin has exiled us, but conversion of heart enables us to return to the Father, to heaven. Christians are in the flesh, but they do not live according to the flesh. They spend their lives on earth, but are citizens of heaven. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. Good news, the uh, former brand name drug that uh, I dispense orally, A-U-R-A-L-L-Y, through the ear on this program, uh, it's a potent drug for uh, emotional well-being, spiritual helpfulness. Uh, Dacazin is uh, now off patent, and you can get the generic, which is tricyclinol. Uh, both work about the same, um, but the Dacazin, who, oh, for years, was really the only one you could get of that nature. Now you can get tricyclinol. I'm talking to a dear lady, Melissa, 
from Texas. Melissa, you still there? Melissa, you there, dear? Uh oh. I hear I hear I hear quietness in the background. Melissa. I'm here. There you go. Did you doze off during my break? No, I accidentally hit mute on my car. Okie dokie. Well, hey, a lot of people want to hit mute on me. So, you know, okie dokie. My dear, first of all, very, very sorry for the the unexpected passing of your husband. Gee, many Christmas. My dear, uh, most people could could not know what that feels like. Now, you, you had a couple of interesting questions. Have you heard of something called uh, the baptism of desire? Yes. Okay. That's meaning if someone wants to be baptized into the Catholic Church, but they pass away before that happens, they are either in RCIA or they made arrangements and then something happened, it's called a baptism of desire. They wanted to be baptized. So therefore, in their mind and in their heart and in their soul, they really were baptized. Okay, so there is no such thing as confession of desire. However, however, you said something pretty significant. You said that you and your husband routinely went to confession every three weeks, right? Yes. yes. And how long how long had you been doing that? Years. Years and years. Is that safe to say that that's an indication of your husband's faithfulness to Jesus and the Catholic Church? Yes, I was. He was a very faithful man. Yes. Okay. So you're thinking that because he said, "I want to go to confession," that he he must have done something terribly wrong because he brought up the idea. That's what you're thinking. Um, not necessarily. Um, it's just that it was usually me saying, you know, he he would go every week if, if you know, he, he would go all the time. But it's usually me saying, I need to go to confession because I'm probably the bigger sinner of the two of us. But, um, so it was unusual for him to say that, first of all. Um, but I, I don't know that it was a big sin. I just don't know what it was. You know, I mean, like, what if it was a big sin and I just... Well, first of all, I don't know. if you're saying that your husband has lived a pretty faithful life, then it's pretty unlikely that he's going to do something that's going to jeopardize his soul. Pretty unlikely. Secondly, the mere fact that he said, I want to go to confession, who knows? Who knows why he said that? But for you to say, therefore, therefore, because he didn't get to go to confession, I'm really worried about the state of his soul, is a huge leap. Huge. That's the first thing. I think you take comfort in the fact that your husband lived a very faith-filled life. That's where you take your comfort. You don't you don't totally negate all that by saying, "Well, yeah, but he wanted to go to confession, he didn't make it." That must mean something's really wrong. I, oh my, that's quite a leap. 
Right. I mean, even at his funeral, our priest mentioned that how often he went to confession, even for the smallest sure. infractions or sure. the smallest time he felt he offended somebody, he would be in confession. And so. that tells you something else. It tells you that likely your husband went to confession because... And again, he he didn't have to do this. The, the church teaching on this is you need to go to confession if you have a grave sin. But your husband went to confession because he wanted to confess all those things about us, all the little sinfulness that we have, and that was a, a beautiful thing that he wanted to do that. So... Yeah. In all likelihood, he wanted to go to confession because he figured, yeah, maybe I did this, this, and this. None of which was a serious sin, but because he thought, yeah, I think I want to confess that. Because that that seemed to be his mindset all his life. So it makes sense if that's always been the way he's looked at it, then he looks at it that way now. That would be the, the, the most likely thing. But then you said something else. You said, I don't feel his presence. Now, my dear, that's not what you were saying. You were saying, I don't feel his presence, therefore. Is this related to the fact that he didn't go to confession, he might have had a very serious sin on his soul, and therefore he's not in a place where I can feel his presence? Now, am I making too much out of that one statement? No, you're right. Well, first of all, to feel somebody's presence is a feeling Okay, I don't feel my mom's presence. I don't feel my dad's presence. I don't feel my little brother's presence. I don't feel all my loved ones' presence. I don't feel their presence. Does that mean they're all not in heaven? Of course not. And and to say I feel somebody's presence, if you're, if you're talking to a shrink, and my view of that is, well, that that's nice that you feel that, but that doesn't mean they're present. It just means you feel something, whatever it is. They could be. They could not be. So what you're doing again is you're saying, is that another piece of evidence that my husband didn't make it to heaven because I don't feel his presence? Not at all. There's no way the church would teach that in any way. This is not my opinion, dear. I think 99 out of 100 priests will tell you that. Right. So you be at peace with this. Uh, to the to the degree that you can live at peace because your husband was a faith-filled man who routinely went to confession. If you were going to tell me, no, no, my husband never, ever, ever, ever went to confession, and then the week before he said, I got to go to confession, and maybe you could say, well, he had, he had something pretty serious. But even at that, he wanted to go to confession. So therefore, he was intending. The church would teach... If you can't get to confession, you make a very good act of contrition. They call it an act of perfect contrition, which means you will get to confession the first chance you get. So in every way, I don't think you need to disturb your peace over where your dear husband might be. 877-573-7825, 877-573-7825. Equal number to call. Want to talk to you. Got a lot of time left. A lot of time. 
Family Connection with Teresa Tomio. We are in an age where the culture is taking over so strongly, and we need to be effective communicators. One-on-one, online, in interviews, phone conversations. Doesn't mean that every person is going to have a degree, that every person is going to know how to do a podcast, but we need to first form ourselves in prayer and know the faith, and then at least know something. If we're going to be evangelizing and out there on whatever platform on a regular basis, but are we making sure that we are doing it to the best of our ability, prayerfully, but also in a way to communicate effectively? How do we get that message across? How are we approaching people? Are we being kind? Are we giving them accurate information? Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio. Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Christ is the Answer with Father John Ricardo. I tell oftentimes an experience that I had at Divine Child when I was a young priest, one year ordained, first time I ever really saw the power of the Blessed Sacrament. And we simply exposed the Blessed Sacrament at the end of Mass one night. I encouraged people. I said, you know what? We've been in the habit of praying over people after Mass. I said, we're not going to do that this week. I'm just going to invite people to come on up and pray if they want to pray. And I put the Blessed Sacrament on the altar. I kneeled down. As I kneeled down, the church is in the sanctuary. The whole church. And as I'm looking at this, and I'm looking at the people there, and I'm looking at Jesus under the appearance of bread there, I saw the Lord standing on the altar. And he's just standing there looking out at all the people. And then at a certain point, he turned towards me and he just bowed and he says, don't you see how easy this is? You don't have to do anything. You just have to put me out. You put me out and I will work. Well, you know, who would have thunk... I was reading a book by a guy named David Baldacci. This was written probably 15, 18 years ago, something like that, maybe not quite. And the plot of the book is that they were going to get to the point technologically where the Internet could be immediately right at your hands. You didn't have to search it. You could just type in a topic speak in a topic, and boom, all kinds of stuff was going to come up. Now, on one hand, that's great for learning things. On the other hand, it's great for being misled. So Elise is wondering, from Angola, Indiana, which I think is Angola is the place of the, uh, the penitentiary, isn't it, Elise? Uh, I don't think, I think that might be down in Huntington. I'm oh, not sure. Okay. Not Angola. So you went to the internet and there was a doctor. Did you did you talk to this doctor or was it just this doctor's writing about ADHD? It was a quiz that I had to pay for. It was fairly expensive and it was a pretty extensive quiz. Um, but yeah, it was designed by doctors and, and then evaluated by a doctor after the fact. So this person got a hold of me after the after the quiz with a you know a, a diagnosis which I'm kind of not 100% sure should be called a diagnosis but that's what he called it. <laughs> what so, prompt what prompted you to take that quiz? 
I've kind of been curious um, for years whether I might have ADHD just because I'd heard people talk about their symptoms and especially as adults and it really resonated with my experiences so I just was curious and I finally you know decide hey let's check this out but I didn't go to a doctor in person so I don't know if it counts how'd you do in school uh, I did well but there was there was always like this crazy behind the scenes kind of scrambling and procrastinating <laughs> so well, I mean procrastinating procrastinating well. is not ADHD so you did very right. well in school yeah my grades were always really good so that's a, a a significant indicator that you, uh-huh. you wouldn't be diagnosable with ADHD. Hmm. Because one of the places yeah, it, okay. it really shows up is a struggle focusing, a struggle with impulse. Do you ever get, okay, let me ask you another question, Elise. Uh, have you ever gotten in trouble because your behavior has just been impulsive and you've done terrible things and uh, you've had a hard time getting along socially and people don't like you? <laughs> nope, I don't think so. <laughs> okay, so we do know one thing, you don't impulsively act out. So now that's another sign of right. ADHD. I think what you did... Now, something else I'm curious about, if you don't mm. mind me asking, is ADHD versus ADD, because yeah. they're calling it they're calling them both ADHD now, and they're saying there's the inattentive subtype and the hyperactive. Right. I had the inattentive on this test. So I don't know okay. if that's a different question or, well, you know, it whatever. Would, it would mean that when you were in school, for example, one sign, that you would have a very hard time completing your assignments because you drifted off, you didn't pay much attention, uh, you zoned, you were kind of spacey, all of that, and not only in school, but but in other areas of life. Now, we're not talking procrastination here. We're not talking, I don't want to do it. We're not talking, this doesn't interest me. We're talking, yeah, I'd really like to focus, but I can't seem to. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I don't know, there's kind of a yes and no with that, because mm. uh, I guess a lot of things don't interest me, though. <laughs> well, a yes a and no. boring to me, but I don't know. Well, a yes and no would kind of indicate that you wouldn't really be diagnosable with this. Now, obviously, I can't say. I don't know. Yeah. But I will say this. A rating form is only one part of properly diagnosing ADHD or ADD, inattentive type. Okay? That means that we'd need a good social history. That means we would have to rule out other potential diagnoses that could interfere with that that means we would have to look and see where this manifests itself in other words this isn't something and you can just go oh i'm going to fill out something and therefore this is what i scored are you familiar with a term called regression to the mean sounds familiar but i don't know what it means okay it essentially says when you retake something or you redo something, or you assess something, the second time you take it is generally not as extreme as the first time you took it. Mm. So 
Regression to the mean would say if you retook that quiz, in all likelihood, or possibly, you would not answer quite as extreme. Okay? Hmm. So that's that's a complicating factor. Yeah. So and now let me let me go all the way with this. Mm-hmm. Let's say that in fact, now keeping in mind ADHD inattentive type, ADD, ADHD impulsive type are developmental conditions. In other words, they're the tail end of the temperamental wiring continuum. Just like some people are really fast runners, uh, most people fall in the middle. The really fast runners is the top 2%. Well, some mm. people are more impulsive by their nature. That's the way they are. That's the way they're wired. And if they get too impulsive, then we diagnose them. If they're spacey and ditzy and drifting off and poorly attentive, that doesn't necessarily mean it's neurological. In our culture, everything is fast-paced hyperstimulation, so that can confound the picture, too. So, given that, what's happening, and, and, and there's research to indicate this, is that people are being diagnosed ADHD who have in, in their minds, or in somebody else's mind, some of those characteristics. But they're not extreme enough. We're all spacey at some level. We're all impulsive at some level. The question is, what level? Hmm. Now, my experience has been that an awful lot of kids are getting that label who are not, say, in the bottom 3%. They're in the bottom 15%. Oh, well, we're going to diagnose them. So, let's say that you're legit, which I, don't, I really have my doubts about because you had no signs of this going through school. Okay, then, then what? What, what? What are you going to Are you going to take medication? What are you going to do about it? Huh, right. Right. Yeah, that was going to be my next question is well, what sure. obligation do I have to do anything else about Nothing. this? Nothing. You don't have to do anything about it <laughs> because you're living your life. And if you look at your life and you say, yeah, you know, there's things I can improve and there's things I don't do so well. And there's other areas where I really need to work on my, my spirituality. I need to work on my maturity. I need to work on my kindness to other people. There's all kinds of things I need to work on. And one of them is I need to work on getting things done in a timely manner. Okay. So are you going to take a drug for that? I mean, you, you could, mm-hmm. but, but the research says that by and large with the inattentive type, the drugs aren't all that effective. They're much more effective with the impulsive type. So hmm. the question becomes, so, so even if, and I think that's a big if, that internet screening was accurate, so what? now what? Hmm. Yeah. Pardon See, I don't really... <laughs> I don't really want to do anything no, don't. about it to. other than, you what know, you, what mitigate you have the to? symptoms that I feel like I have. Well, yeah, and, uh, and well, I, unless I you take I, chemical. I to tell my employers? Or, oh, why? You know? Your, employer, your yeah. employer knows how you perform. If your yeah. employer has problems with the way you perform, then, okay, what kinds of things can you change to perform better? But to say to your employer, well, I've got ADHD and attentive type. Therefore, you need to give me some allowance. Mm. I'm not sure how well that's going to work. Yeah. 
<laughs> so I guess what I'm saying is be careful about being confused about all this. First of all, mm-hmm. it's overdiagnosed. The research is coming out to indicate this. Second of all, it's right. uh, it's something that you would have struggled with as a child, most likely, and you didn't. Third of all, it's an internet quiz, which <laughs> and you, which you paid for, by the way. <laughs> that <laughs> that might raise a few flags. And then about the only thing you can do chemically is take certain medication for it, which by and large isn't all that effective, especially for the inattentive type. So where are you going to go from here, girl? (laughs) Probably nowhere. Who you are. Yeah. Another thing that's really hit me is I've been reading biographies of artistic and creative people, which I, I am that. And uh, I just think to myself, they would have been diagnosed with this, that, and the other thing, and, you know, given meds. <laughs> Who knows? We might not have some masterpieces. So I, I feel like it, it could really deaden creativity to be trying to sedate we yourself. We are a hyper-diagnostic culture. Yeah. We got diagnoses for everything. Yeah. And much of the time... It's kind of scary. It is scary. And much of the time, these diagnoses really have no actual treatment for them, other than maybe counseling or some type of behavioral mm-hmm. restructuring in one's life. But for the most part, yeah. that many of them are just labels. <laughs> so, there you go, my dear. Yep. Delightful call. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Bye. This is Dr. Ray. Underwritten in part by this not-for-profit. Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into the suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. And click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. We live right now in dark and confusing times, but Jesus is always at work. We shouldn't allow ourselves to forget what we know just because we're facing many circumstances that are threatening and confusing to us. You know that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know that he's poured out his Holy Spirit and formed his body on the earth, and that he is the head of the body in heaven, and his body is right here on earth. You can point to it. Jesus didn't just leave us a set of teachings. Jesus, in fact, gave us himself. The church is ultimately the deifying union between Christ the head and the sanctified members of his body. And so just as the Lord unfurls himself into the Eucharist, Jesus is also extending his divinely human presence into his mystical body, the church. Cresta in the afternoon, weekdays at 4 Eastern on EWTN Radio. Hello, Steve Ray here. Everything in the Bible and in the Catholic Church starts with the book of Genesis. It reveals to us God's plan for mankind. Yet Genesis can be daunting, especially given the scientific discoveries of the last few centuries. Well, that's where I come in with my new book, Genesis, a Bible study guide and commentary. Discover a thoroughly Catholic approach to this exciting and dramatic ancient narrative that is so often misunderstood. You can get the book now on the store page at AveMariaRadio.net. Check it out.
you folks make my time here absolutely delightful. Now, obviously, not delightful because of your situations, but delightful because I get to talk to people whose whose heart, by and large, is gone in the right direction. That's that's real nice. Uh, Eric is calling from People C, Idaho. Uh, no longer can we call it Boy C. That's uh, a, a gender uh, gender narrow. We have to call it People C. I think there's some uh, movement to get the get the uh, name changed. Hi, Eric. Hello, Doctor Grundy. How are you? Good, sir. Appreciate it. Well, so, uh, you didn't. You you created a family schism. You know what? I did, but I'm. No, not how far do I go in? Correct. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry, I'm not going to talk over you. Well, you didn't go to your aunt's anyway. funeral because she viewed she viewed abortion a certain way, or she had certain moral views. Yeah. So she like I had the conversation with her. I said two plus two has to be four, and she's like, no, people have different truths. And I'm like, well, those truths are wrong. And like she was a very adamant supporting abortion person and then yet she loved my kids because they were born which is so hypocritical to me well eric one of those universal go ahead if you're not going to associate with anybody even at her funeral because they have ideas radically different from yours and radically different from what you believe truth is man you're you're gonna you're gonna take your uh, social circle and narrow it down pretty good yeah well, I, I guess I, I guess I'm, I'm saying I'm, that you're going to pay your respects to the people around your aunt, and she had many ideas that are at odds with how you deeply believe about things. But I would not think that's a reason to avoid her funeral. So, like, it was just my my thinking was, um, so I'm. It, it wasn't like obviously she wasn't my sister, but if I go, if I would have gone. You're not saying no. You're not saying you agree with her if you went to her funeral. Is that what you're going to ask? But where she was at, and I would have like, I would have been so unhappy and so like biting my tongue, and that I shouldn't. I don't think I should be that way. Like, have to bite my tongue to be at somebody's funeral. That's just my view. You don't have to bite your tongue. You shut your mouth. (laughs) Well, to shut my mouth, I'm going to have to bite my tongue. You don't have to say anything. You're going there, and you're you're praying for your aunt. I mean, if I did. Okay, there you go. There you go. You don't want your aunt to be forever in hell. You would hope and pray that through God's mercy and his understanding of the way she was raised and what she knew and all the factors that entered into the way she thinks, that he would be very merciful toward her. You can't know how he'll judge her, but you can hope that. So, in fact, what I would suggest, i got about 20 seconds here, is I'd go to your brother and say, you know what? I'm sorry. If I had it to do over again, I certainly would have gone. My thinking, my thinking misled me. That's that's what I would do. Can you recommend how I would get there? Because that's not how I feel, and I don't want to lie to somebody. You're not lying. You're not lying. You're rethinking it. Call me back, Eric. I'll give you more reasons why. This is Dr. Ray. Walk with God. For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.